Mm-hmm. All right, clap sync. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome everybody to the Summit Up Podcast. This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. I am John, and as always, I am joined by my good friend Chris. Chris, how you doing? I'm ready to bury a specific post, uh, composer alive. I'm ready to put them in flames and just move on with my life and be just showered with beautiful music that isn't written by this man. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing a bit. I don't wish this man terrible harm, but I just want to say I just don't enjoy his music. Well, yeah, and we so I was going to save this uh, this topic for a little later in the show, but we were having a very passionate pre-show discussion here and I wanted to just dive right into it. So basically, the story is that Danny Elfman is scoring Doctor Strange 2 and I... Just, I don't even want to hold this back anymore. Chris, I want to get your initial thoughts. I just, when it comes to Danny Elfman, when I listen to soundtracks, his music just isn't full. You know, it's this thing in music we talk about where, you know, how when you get music, when when you're playing an instrument, you're playing a string instrument, you're playing a wind instrument, we talk about being full. And sometimes when it comes to musicians, it's not the best term to describe it. But I don't feel a sense of, uh, I don't feel like very, very complex or- orchestrations are made by Danny Elfman that are, you know, memorable orchestrations, memorable themes. And I know what you're going to say, John. The Avengers theme was written by Danny Elfman. Great. I I have a better time remembering the single songs from, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy than I do the Avengers theme. Um, Indiana Jones, better theme. What, Star Wars, better theme. You know, stuff that Hans Zimmer has written, better theme. John Powell, How to Train Your Dragon, a better theme. And that's an animated movie. We're talking about The Avengers. So, I just, I and if you love Danny Elfman, great. And there's a lot of people that think he's a genius. I have no problem respecting your opinion. But I'm here to say my opinion is... He sucks. And, and obviously I'm, I'm, your opinion is right. You know, you're right. It's a point of view. Uh, I got to be careful with that, that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would say that when it, his music is just, I get some people are really all about, it. it just doesn't have the big band effect. I don't feel the amazing melodies, harmonies, counter melodies molding together in a very loud it, it it just doesn't it doesn't take up a scene like how do i describe it it doesn't take up a scene kind of like with uh what is it et and elliot when they're in the baskets and you hear the da 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 da, da and you hear like the strings going crazy and you hear the trumpets do their their single thing and you're like oh this is not really a big moment in the movie and then the freaking brass the low brass and the timpani and the bass drum hit it all at the same time bum, bum, ba, bum, bum, ba, bum. and then the moment hits bum, bum. and i never get that with danny elfman i know i sound like an insane person singing orchestrations but 
I don't get those memorable highs from, from Danny. I don't get them from Danny. And I, when I hear that, you know, it's like, Danny Elfman's going to do Doctor Strange. I'm not the person who's got my panties in a twist going like, yes, I'm, I, I, I'm just, I don't care. You're a bit more leery. I get that. I do. I mean, I've been spoiled. I've been (laughs) spoiled by, by John Williams, by Hans Zimmer, Michael Giacchino, even, uh, John Powell. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, was uh Jawardi from Game of Thrones too has done more stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just Danny Elfman's been in this game for so long and I'm just still not impressed. Well so so Michael Giacchino composed the score for the first Doctor Strange movie. So obviously Danny Elfman's gonna pull a lot of the themes that he wrote um and I think create more of just like an atmosphere rather than composition for like the main themes of the movie so there's at least that going for it and i do think there's something to be said about when a director and a composer that have worked together for a long time pair up again um i mean like when you have spielberg and john williams uh working together there's going to be magic because there's like this unspoken communication between the two that they know the emotional through line for the film because they know each other very well so for these two I think that at least is going to be, it's not going to be a hindrance for the, for the score. Um, and I, so I think... you, so those moments in Dr. Strange one, where you hear like the nice Baroque piano, because they're in like a very, uh, academic space. What you're saying is you're excited when Danny Elfman adds synthesizers and spooky pumpkins to the music. <laughs> well, I mean, to be you honest. hear the circus thing like boom, 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 boom. It's gonna sound like <laughs> the Sorcerer's Apprentice, except it's not gonna sound as good because Ch- Tchaikovsky is amazing. Was it Tchaikovsky? No, Tchaikovsky was dead. Someone else, I forget. But yeah, that's what you're going for: is spooky pumpkins over a, a Baroque type go, type of uh, inspiration by Michael Giacchino. Well, I mean, to be honest, it kind of feels like they're leaning into the villain being Nightmare for uh, or Mephisto. I mean, either one of those, I feel like Danny Elfman has has scored films and shows for uh, like the more ghoulish type of villains in the past. So I'm not saying it's going to be I hope it's not like cartoonish, but it's going to be cartoonish. uh, You're probably right. But like that aesthetic of of sort of like demonic, which Sam Raimi has excelled at with the Evil Dead series, uh, which obviously uh, Danny Elfman has has worked with him a lot in films like that. I mean, I I think that was probably the pitch, was that if it's going to be Nightmare or Mephisto as the main villain, that Danny Elfman has worked on films that have similar uh, themes, at least. Um, I probably, I mean, I definitely would have preferred Michael Giacchino stick around for the second, but yes. um, Sam Raimi, I think, has a very specific direction and idea that he wants for this film, and I respect that, and I think that Sam Raimi has earned a lot of uh, credit for fans because these guys have also teamed up for Spider-Man 1 and 2, um, arguably two of the most influential comic book films of the modern era, especially 2. Um, so, and like when you, th- when you think back about those films, it's not, it's not like songs, like specific songs that you remember. It's more of the emotional scenes and, the f- and like the entire atmosphere of the film. So if, if Elfman can 
tie that in and really focus on just creating moments and not necessarily creating songs, I think that's going to be the key. I mean, does that does that type of pitch kind of appeal to you at all? No, because you said Sam Raimi. And the only thing I can think of from Sam Raimi's movies is, I think it's Spider-Man 1. So what I'm expecting is, you said there's a chemistry between a director and a composer. And now what I expect is for us to get Danny Elfman music. But somewhere at the end credit scene, we're going to get um, Nickelback play. Down in the heroes, down in kind of like what they did at the end of spider-man one so um yeah i'm not looking forward to it at all i i assume they're gonna get beck um instead of nickelback <laughs> but i i have a feeling that it, it won't be good and and that's not, and a lot of people love beck and i know they're very talented but i have a feeling that they're going to make a choice that just doesn't make any sense with the horror aesthetic you know if you put Slipknot in there, I might be like, all right, that that would fit the horror type of metal grunge uh, type of expect, uh, expectation. But with, uh, I don't know, with Danny Elfman, I expected to be ghoulish. But in ghoulish, not like not like the Evil Dead, I expected to be like Nightmare Before Christmas for for uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I, I'm just going to be so depressed when I hear that soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> and, and I, I believe what you and I have had a discussion about um, the like the purpose of a, of a composer and like the the elements that the score has in a film and whether or not it needs to stand up on its own or if it can just be tied into like intrinsically tied to the movie itself. And I like I, I think especially with uh, Christopher Nolan films, I think, yes, like the score is interesting and it's fun to listen to. But when you have it tied in with the rest of the film, it brings this whole new level to it that it it doesn't need to necessarily stand on its own because it's contributing to the entire emotional um, atmosphere of the film. And I think really taking you away to a different place. And I am not, I'm not, let me, let me say this again, I am not comparing Danny Elfman uh, to uh, any kind of like composer for a Christopher Nolan film at all. I'm not. But Why not? I'm just... I'm just saying that you should be able to uh, uh, you should be able to separate the music from the film um, while also being able to appreciate the music in the moment for the film that it was created for. Just so you know, people compare LeBron James and uh, and Michael Jordan all the time. People compare Tom Brady and they to other quarterbacks before his time, Joe Montana. People compare uh, Vince Lombardi to Bill Belichick. People compare movies to other movies. I really think that the the as much as I am trying to be a musicianly type of person and understand that you can have respect for your fellow composer, um, you can have respect for music, and I I I genuinely do. And I have no problem being the big bad and just saying, like, Danny Elfman's style just doesn't appeal to me at all. I have no problem with saying that. I respect him as a human being, just like I respect Zack Snyder as a human being. Zack Snyder makes bad movies. I just, I don't know how else to say. Uh, To me, he makes bad movies. Mm -hmm. But to everyone else, it could be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And when you were talking about, like, the purpose of a scene, like, composer's are supposed to capture that 
My head went to Rick and Morty when he makes the robot that gets him his butter for his toast. And the <laughs> robot's like, what is my purpose? To get me butter for my breakfast. And the, the robot goes, oh, God. Like, that's what I thought of when you said, like, oh, you know, Danny Elfman's going to have a purpose with his uh, director. I'm just like, with finding moments, I'm just like, no. I just, I can't. I can't. There's no moment in movies where Danny Elfman has done where I've just felt like this is the orchestra's moment. Never. Well, I'm not talking about saying this is the orchestra's moment. I'm saying this is this is a moment in a film that really connects with me because of how the score, the actors, the directing, the cinematography, everything ties together. So if if he can, to me, if he can blend... John, his best score was nearly 40 years ago with Batman. (laughs) It's been 40 years. Marriages don't last 40 years. Some of them. Some of them don't even last a month. Especially if you're watching my 90 day, my 90 day fiance. But anyways. Oh God, don't, don't bring that back up. I'm just saying, but I, I don't understand the hype around this man. I'm more interested in playing devil's advocate to your passion right now, sir. Because it makes great content. Yes. Yes. And Martin Scorsese doesn't like the word content. Ugh. Yes. Oh, Anyways, snob. what's next? Um, well, no. So I, I wanted to kind of get your your thought too on. Do you think that this this choice in in composer is going to bring down the movie as a whole and potentially negatively impact like how the movie is received? Hmm. It's a really good point. That's a really good question for me because, man. I would say that the the movie could still be very successful. I just won't. I, I I don't know. I just I don't I don't know if I'm going to care or not to listen to the soundtrack because it can ruin big moments. I mean, when you look at the MCU, look at who they've gone to do their scores before. Obviously, Danny Elfman did Avengers, but you know Ludwig Göransson did Black Panther mm-hmm. along with Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And The weekend, but, you know, Kendrick Lamar. No, The weekend did, like, one song, and I think it was promo, but Kendrick Lamar and Ludwig Gorenson. Pretty amazing. Uh, and I've listened to the soundtrack. Um, Hans Zimmer's stuff, even though that Zack Snyder makes terrible movies, everything in the DC has banging soundtracks. Um, and it makes the bad moments in the movies better. So, I guess, in a sense... I actually should be kind of concerned that the music might make the movie worse, but I think because it's a Marvel film, it'll be fine. It it it, it end up it may not end up being my most hated or it might end up might not it might end up not being my most loved movie, but it'll still be a good movie cuz it's it's Marvel. I will just uh find the music choices odd. When I hear spooky pumpkins as, you know, Doctor Strange fights off, you know, interdimensional beings. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, one, with it being a sequel, again, like he's not having to create the the score and the sound for a specific uh, character um, like Giacchino had to for Doctor Strange. I mean, like he basically had to create the the themes for sorcerers in the MCU. Um, so, and, 
so Danny Elfman is just going to have to continue what he started. But with how weird this movie is probably going to get with it being a multiverse film, I mean, maybe they want it to sound weird. Maybe that's the, the idea behind it is that's that's one of the directions they're going in is is not having something that seems so grounded and gritty like the rest of the composers have been in the past with these films. So, I mean, I mean, Marvel is always thinking 10 steps ahead and they're always thinking of of every possibility so i i think this is a at least well-intentioned decision um now whether or not he's going to stick the landing and this is just going to seem like another generic danny elfman uh, score is yet to be seen um but it's also very early in pre-production and they're just trying to get some some recorded music for for this set um which is why he's jumping in so early so there's there's a lot of time for him to work out um the music for this so i at least he's got time to think yeah i don't know if having several years to think about is going to help as his best work was almost 40 years ago <laughs> so we'll see you know we'll we will see and i do want to talk about another interesting choice for an upcoming film uh and and that has to do with the flash movie they just announced today that they have found uh they have cast supergirl for this film uh it's an actress from uh, a soap opera actually uh her name is sasha Kelly, and i i can't believe they're putting more characters in this movie um and i wanted to i don't i know we did talk about this before but i wanted to get your thoughts on what ramifications ramifications this could have for the rest of of the dceu um but supergirl is officially joining uh the dc universe and they've talked about doing this since man of steel came out and they kind of gently alluded to another kryptonian being out there or that could have been uh kara zor-el's pod um that was that was seen open but uh i I know you're not a huge like DC Comics fan. You don't know a ton about the lore back in, uh, back with all this, mm-hmm. um, but like, what are your your initial thoughts of having such a large um, superhero in this upcoming Flash movie? Well, I am curious about this because one of the th- it did pop up before we did the show. I was like, oh, you know, because I was working. I was like, I only have you know thirty minutes to an hour to get ready for the show, and so I was eating. And I was like, I wonder if there's anything I missed. And I saw that, oh, they cast Supergirl. And the pictures I see of Supergirls is, you know, pale, blonde, you know, superhero. I'm like, okay, you know, who'd they, who'd they get? And I'm looking at them like Latin American. And me as being half Latin American, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I was like, that's kind of nice. And I thought about it again. I'm like, you know, unlike Marvel... I don't know. I, you know, Marvel like makes uh, reiterations, not not really reiterations, but evolutions of characters. Like a character will die, and they'll introduce someone else, or they'll just introduce a new character altogether with the same powers as another character who's kind of put up the cape, and they kind of you know fill that role in a sense. And I was like, how are DC fans gonna react to this? So I have no idea. Um, I feel like it's gonna bring up that debate is like, oh, you know, is James Bond gonna be black and you know, even, you know, Barbara Broccoli is like, oh, he's going to be white. And it's like, oh, OK, um, he has to be white because 
you know, it's James Bond and it's supposed to be making fun of the gentleman who wants to be, you know, a, uh, a badass. And I don't know. I'm curious how fans are going to react to a Latin American playing Supergirl. I don't know. I really, I don't care too much about the DC when they do change casting for this kind of stuff. I am curious how it's done. I just care that the person can act. I just care that the script is good. Mm-hmm. I swear, like you could put, you could take out, you could take out Daisy Ridley and put in Kristen Wiig, the movie's still gonna be bad, for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, and, and the character is gonna be bad because the character is written poorly. Um, even though you could comparing Kristen Wiig to, you know, Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley's been in a lot less things compared to Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig is a powerhouse, but just because you put Kristen Wiig in that role doesn't mean it's gonna be good. So. Am I worried about the casting? Not really. I am curious to see what the comments are online because I know people care about that kind of stuff and it just causes so many diverse discussions that I find kind of funny um, because I respect people's opinions and I'm willing to talk about it like a human being. Uh, and sometimes I troll, which is the Danny Elfman and Zack Snyder film bit. <laughs> I will troll the fans and all that stuff for that kind of stuff. Even though I generally do not like their stuff, I do generally respect their craft and what they do, what the products that and the people that they are. But that's a troll at that point. I'm curious to see what happens with Supergirl. I don't know. What was your take that they <laughs> casted someone who wasn't blonde and uh, <laughs> very pale white? I mean, I I really honestly don't have a problem with the casting at all. I mean, I I don't know her acting at all, so I'm curious how 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 she'll be on screen. I think that'll be the biggest thing. It was an interesting choice because, um, I mean, with this being in a Flash movie, they, they're obviously setting up multiverse uh, themes with this, with Michael Keaton being reintroduced um, as Batman alongside Ben Affleck's Batman. Um, so this could probably be a Supergirl from a different universe um, because they've, they've set up that... Well, I mean, obviously Supergirl is, is uh, Superman's cousin, and so they're going to look somewhat similar, um, just based on familial ties. Based on and, based off the, the based, based on their off face. the based off the filter that they used for Man of Steel. Yep. <laughs> to make Henry look. Cavill very very tan. He was everybody is beige in that film, um, but uh, I I think with how they've set it up, where I mean the entire family or the entire House of L basically is very Caucasian. Um, this just, I think, I mean, obviously it's 2021. You can cast, like they cast um, uh, uh, in the latest Fantastic Four movie, they had... Um, uh, Michael oh B. Gosh, Jordan. Michael B. Jordan uh, uh, have adopt a white sister, and or that was the family connection there. So they, they found a, a very natural way to explain that casting, which worked out fine i think um so i'm curious to see whether it's going to be that type of connection and and they're going to be from the same universe or if this is going to be a pull from an alternate universe uh who knows i i'm i am more worried i mean okay so the casting is not my concern my one worry is that this is going to feel like a massively muddy movie um (laughs) i mean with with it being a flash story while also having it be the last Ben Affleck Batman film, 
while also reintroducing Michael Keaton as Batman, while also trying to pivot the entire DC franchise around a specific movie that is going to be set up in the Snyder Cut, which is no longer canon, quote-unquote, for the rest of the DC universe. Um, because uh, Cyborg and Flash are going to have a lot of scenes uh, together that were supposed to make the cut originally, that never did, that are going to set up themes um, in, in the future films. So there's there's already a lot going on in this, and if she has any kind of significant role in this film at all, I feel like it's just going to muddy the waters even more. And I my worry... I mean, well, my worry based on the history of this entire franchise and the repeated mistakes is that it's going to try and set up 30 different things before they've really justified it in any other films. Um, and that this is just going to feel like another dart thrown at the wall. The other thing about it is that she is a very uh, unknown actress. Mm-hmm. She's very unknown. And so my concern is like, what happens... When they put her in this movie, she, you know, the movie, let's say they put her in there and let's say she does, I mean, you know what, let's, let's flip it a little bit. Let's say the movie sucks. Are people going to come after her and do another Kelly Marie Tran type of thing? And that's going to cause another debate uh, about, you know, harassment and stuff like that. And obviously there should be no debate. Don't harass people online, you know, to stone. Don't, don't harass people like that online because at the end of the day they do have feelings um and i'm curious how that's going to work with the supergirl and what happens if her acting is not that very good you know what happens if people are like it's not the best kind of like how people were making fun of gina carano uh i and granted but, but to that point they andy muschietti uh said that he sat through 400 auditions to find her and and the 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 chemistry between her and ezra miller as the flash he said really sold him on it so i mean that alone there's going to be some interaction between the two of them and the fact that he sat through that many auditions to find somebody who was relatively unknown um i think bodes well for her but i don't like the flash well okay but that's a whole different discussion I, well, no, do I, you like Ezra Miller as the Flash? No. Um, Thank I, you. <laughs> I, <laughs> but but I, I think that's not necessary of, necessarily a reflection of the people that are cast around him. Um, I personally, I would have loved to have seen, um, uh, what's his face from the CW, uh, be the Flash. Uh, Grant Gustin. I think he's a much better Flash, uh, a much better Barry, Barry Allen than Ezra Miller is. But that's just like the quirkiness, I think, that they really a little too heavily leaned on in the film. But, but this you're having the people who made these movies that were just like, eh, you're making them do the, the casting, you know, it, 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 you know. Yeah, you got Ben Affleck, you've got Gal Gadot, you've got Henry Cavill. These are powerhouse actors that are just killing it, um, doing such a great job. And I mean, what? what what has been the what has been the benefit that they have reaped it's been nothing but poop so when we talk about what's next oh i went through 400 auditions to find this girl and be like great maybe she can act and she's gonna be fantastic she's still gonna be in a bad movie it's not you're not you're not 
you're not selling me on this movie by announcing we just got a nobody type of actor it's one of those things where i'm watching this kind of the same way i watched how snyder cut was coming together it's like oh yeah you know we're gonna we're gonna do the movie it's gonna be in four uh, a, a really long four-hour movie a f- couple months later actually it's gonna be put into four parts one month later or like three weeks later actually it's gonna be four hours we lied um this is the type of thing it goes back to warner brothers it's a, it's it's a it's a clown show um, i want to say a different word but it, it really is it's ridiculous so i'm not really you know if she's a great actress i i'm still feeling bad for her i if her act is great i still feel bad for her because she's acting opposite of ezra miller who i as flash i just think he's terrible <laughs> so i i really i really feel for this girl if she's really fantastic and if she's not fantastic i feel even more for her because this look at who's look who's in that who's in the hands it's like giving it's like giving the royalty how do i how would i how would i put this into a metaphor an analogy john a metaphor how how would i how would i explain this to an audience of people it's like if prince william gave his firstborn child and gave it to a fan, uh, gave it to a troll to take care of. It makes no sense. Why yes. would you hand off the, the heir to the throne one day to a troll? You do you trust a troll instead of taking out the baby and smacking against a tree because it wants to bang like bang against the tree? That's what he's gonna do with the royal child. That's what Warner Brothers has done with DC, essentially. Yes. I feel bad for I, this girl getting casted, well, if anything. Now, the more we talk about it, I am frightened for this girl. Or not this girl, this woman. This young woman. I feel so bad for her. We've gone from optimism to fear very quickly. I mean, um, that, well, look what you started this out with. You started it with Danny Elfman. <laughs> I will say, too, that Andy Muschietti is, I believe, a really great director. And what he was able to do with the It franchise, I think, was really great considering the source material and how weird that got. Um, so I, the only other issue is that it seems like the fringe movies that aren't directly related to like the main DC lore and direction they want to take things in seem to be better than the core DC films that are like the pivotal ones, uh, like BVS, uh, like, uh, Justice League. But this is supposed to be the coriest of the Corys. This is supposed to be the grand scheme and they even booted Zack Snyder out that's my point is that even with a great director it's probably going to be covered in studio notes because they don't know how to do anything else and uh, like i said it's just going to be a busy movie and i i wonder one what her role is going to be and two i mean like you've kind of hinted at too like if her if her performance is going to be overshadowed by uh by everything else going on around it it, it may be a bad film. It probably is going to be a bad film. But if she's great in it, like, is this going to be the birth of a future film centered around her? Is this going to kind of kickstart her career in, in film with um, with other franchises? I, I hope that that I hope that they found a great actress for this and that they're they're serious when they say that they searched high and low for this, um, that they really sought her out. But who knows? Because we have, we have no real history to go off of of them making great decisions. Uh, they they talk a lot. They have a great uh, they talk a great game, but they haven't really been able to follow through as a studio uh, for many great choices. Yep. 
Definitely. And they 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 tend to they tend to make their best actors miserable. Yeah. So hopefully this is not another Ray Fisher in the sense that they get burnt out and something horrible happens and then they leave the franchise. Yeah, um, they're going to have Joss Whedon on this set. She's going to, you know, talk about harassment and then they're going to be like, "No, you're the problem." And they're going to have to recast her or they're right out of the movie whatever. Ah, uh, man, that's Cuz that's the, how old Warner Brothers is operating. That that does bring up a good point too is is I mean at at this point in the DC universe, I mean they're already going to recast Batman. Um I mean how many other recasts can they really afford before they hit like a point of no return and they have to just completely restart 10 years later? Um, I mean, at this point, they really have to find actors that, one, are willing to commit to this franchise, and two, that, I mean, that they're going to be able to, to like, be linchpins for this entire franchise moving forward. Uh, I, I think if this was, like, day one, and if they had introduced Supergirl back in uh, Man of Steel, I think that'd be one thing. You could probably afford to recast her, but, like, she's got to commit to this full time. Yeah, the story the story today is supposed to be about her, uh, and you know if we should be applauding the decision by Warner Brothers. I really, really am now after talking out with you. I'm more frightened for the girl than anything, and I, I, this young woman, and I hope this young woman does not receive a lot of backlash for the stupidity of this, of this uh, studio that is helming this. Because guess what, Michael Keaton can take a hit right now if the movie sucks. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Her, on the other hand, I think that it could be something that really kind of destroys a career, and it, I'm very fearful of it for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I especially with it being so early in pre-production for this film, we don't really have a ton to go off of. Um, but as more information starts coming out about this and about behind-the-scenes stories and um, how the cast is working together what the plot details are uh i'm i'm genuinely concerned about yeah, how look, this film is gonna go look at what lucasfilm did to kelly marie tran yeah look I look mean, at what lucasfilm did to ray look what they yeah. did to daisy her character was the worst part she had the worst character in the whole trilogy and it's not daisy's fault it, it really isn't it really isn't. The Ray just fell flat, and people, you know, I totally understand. Little kids dressing up as Ray, I think it is fantastic. But now it's kind of like those things. It's like, well, some little kids might want to dress up more as Ahsoka instead of Ray, and Ahsoka was in way less things, way smaller things than Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 you just got to write well. I don't know. Let's, you know, let's, uh, what's next let's go into the spiral uh so we're just gonna hard pivot into this uh it's the mortal Kombat trailer dropped and okay we can be happy now yes i wanted to end on a high note but i oh my gosh man one i never really played the games as a kid i think i might have gotten into one at one point but i had no idea that there was such a vast fandom of such deep and rich lore behind this oh yeah that just completely has ignited the whole internet but um i don't know what were your initial thoughts to the to the trailer it was uh it was a movie you know 
Mortal Com- I'll just get it off my chest like my experience with Mortal Kombat. I had a Mortal Kombat game for the the uh, Game Boy, but it was the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had I had a game for the Game Boy Advance that was Mortal Kombat. And I really enjoyed playing it. It was fun. I wasn't any good at it, uh, but that was my only Actually no, and then and one of the when I was really really young, my sister's Super Nintendo had a Mortal Kombat game that we'd play on there, and it was super violent. But obviously, I was a little kid, so my memories on that are very hazy. But and then the Super Nintendo disappeared. I don't know where it went. But that's my experience with Mortal Kombat. And besides that, I have no interest in it. So you know, I've heard people get excited for the games. I've seen like. You know, the most recent game that came out for Mortal Kombat and the fatalities, like, it was all over YouTube, people playing the game, showing the crazy fatalities, and I'm like, that's really neat, it's really violent, I can see why parents really hate this game, but it's super cool action. And they made a movie, I think, what was it, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, that was really, really bad. Yes. But going into this, seeing this trailer, and me not really being a fan of Mortal Kombat... It is really nice to see a film that really jumps into the fandom lore, but also is supposed to be hyped beyond belief to be what it is. Like Mortal Kombat isn't Mortal Kombat as a game isn't something that's supposed to be deep dive. It's not. You're supposed to watch people explode and, you know, get killed in crazy ways and and it's it's not supposed to have depth as far as like solving like major problems even though the lore goes really deep so when i watched this trailer and watched how fantastic the special effects was watched how fantastic the action was especially with sub zero <laughs> i am actually really excited to watch a movie similar to a monster movie like godzilla but this i'm more interested in because it is looks like it's going to focus on what I'm going there to see, which is stupid, fantastical type of action rather than go to a monster movie and, you know, being forced to care about the humans, which I really don't. I hope Godzilla burns them all to the ground. I'm there for Godzilla, not the people. So when I go to watch a Mortal Kombat movie and I see the trailer, I'm like, oh, this isn't about the stuff that doesn't matter. It's about these people and their cool powers. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, well, what, what about you, John? Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. I know nothing about the lore of, of Mortal Kombat. I just know it as a super bloody and gory video game. But the fact that there is so much more depth to it was a really nice surprise that they have so much more to, to draw from, especially for a franchise that's been going on for so many decades like this that has such a deep history and connection with the fans. Um, I, it's a really pleasant surprise to know that there is going to be um, it seems like a good balance between a, a really heavy focus on the fighting, um, the fact that it came out with a red band trailer first. It's going to be rated R, obviously. Um, <laughs> but yes, but uh, the fact that there is also lore, there's like more depth to just fighting, um, means that it's going to be a more significant film than I think I initially thought it might have been, um, and especially coming from the film back in I think is the '90s when the first one came out, which obviously special effects back then weren't great, um, but the story was, was garbage. And this one looks like it is shot beautifully. I mean, the, the one scene where they're looking over the mountainous landscape and it's all just like the white and the blue everywhere. Um, I think it's called Otherworld. I think it's what they're looking through. Um, that, I mean, 
oh my gosh, like the fighting could be great, but if it's if it's shot in a really cheesy and cheap way, that takes me out of it. But it just feels very um, vast and immersive, and like they've really done a lot of great world building that you can tell right off right off the bat from the first trailer. Yeah, definitely. And and as someone who has known about Mortal Kombat in the gaming scene but doesn't really care about it, I have my opinions and understanding of it a little bit. And I do know there is a deep lore that every time I hear people explain it, I'm just like, I I can't. I can't follow. It's so nuts. I'm curious for you on your what your opinion. What is grabbing you towards this trailer? I it it does a great job of highlighting each fighter's special, I mean, quote unquote, special moves, um, but their strengths um, and their differences. So it doesn't look like it's just a bunch of actors that were trained how to fight. It looks like a bunch of fighters that are put together in a fight to the death style tournament. Um, and the special effects, how they, how seamlessly they blend through everything. Um, the movie itself just looks like it does a great job of um, really utilizing different fighting styles, the techniques, uh, the special effects to just enhance the fighting, not to overpower them, um, while also setting up a great world building and a great story that I think is going to propel the story forward, not or like the, the plot is going to propel the story forward, not just, all right, we're done with this fight. Now it's time to go to this fight. Now it's time to go to this fight. Like there's a deeper level to it all that's going to be revealed throughout the film. Yeah, totally. And what I'll... The last thing I'll say is when it comes to this, my favorite character, by far, before this trailer came out, it just it's the one I played the most in the game on my uh, Game Boy Advance, was Sub-Zero. And to watch how insanely badass he is in this trailer does have me very much hyped and uh, I don't, it's it's one of those movies that it's those trailers that you see where I was like, I would never see this uh, if the trailer was poor. Like you could you could be know about something, and be like, oh yeah, I'll go check it out, see if it's any good. Um, I don't know what it is. It's like you know the what is it? The Assassin's Creed series had Michael Fassbender. I like mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender, but they made this terrible movie, and I was like, I'm not gonna go see it, and it got it got terrible reviews. This is different. I like. I, I want to see this, and I don't care if it's trash. I don't care if it's it's the oil on the potato chip that I'm eating. I still want it. It looks it looks like a good time. That's the thing. It looks like blood, gore. We're not gonna focus on each other's feelings. It looks it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. It looks like just a fun turn your brain off and watch some good fights yep. while also watching a very entertaining movie. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so uh, this is definitely going to be another one we're going to get HBO Max for uh, and going to really enjoy that. Um, and I do want to just close out today with one last story that I I hope that you find inspiring and fun and interesting. Um, oh, no. Yeah, no, this is totally uh, misdirect. So Tiger King Season 2 has been teased for uh. spring of 2021. Uh, I, I just, I read this today and part of me just died inside. We could talk about, we could talk about stuff that was on our, po- like last week. Okay. So a little backstory. Why didn't you, I get a podcast this week or from last week. It's because 
uh, me, Chris, uh, accidentally deleted my audio. And uh, I have no problem sharing that. I'm a big, dumb idiot. And so, no podcast. Well, we were, I was able to... I didn't delete WandaVision, luckily, but I accidentally deleted the audio for the podcast. So we weren't going to re- record it. We're busy during the week. We have jobs. So, and we don't want to be tired on the, all the next day after recording. So, uh, we could talk about, because last week was a very slow news week, except for Gina Carano and the Justice League trailer. But besides that, it was all trash. So we could hash, hash those out, um, just to keep the show length going. We're doing this all on the fly talking about this, but, um, also... John, did you know that cheetahs aren't considered a big cat in the science community? Why is that, Chris? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I just, I was, <laughs> I was just asking you if you knew. It's, it, like, I, I know it's like some scientists say it isn't, it isn't a big cat. I mean, I, I can say that I didn't know that, and I didn't realize that that it was up for debate. Yeah, I, I guess some zoologists, some scientists are saying that it's not a big cat, but then some zoologists and scientists are like, of, of course it's a it's a big cat. You wouldn't want that to be living in your house, such as cheetah. Yeah. Wide, big, open spaces, like, and even like it's this, it's similar in size to the rare snow leopard, but they call a snow leopard a big cat. So why isn't the cheetah called a big cat? You know, it's kind of kind of unfair. But because it was because we were talking about tiger king season two and i really just hate cringe television so how many times are you and your wife gonna watch that <laughs> it will we'll see if we do at all i i don't even know what it could be about since the star of the show is in prison and uh what's her face um isn't gonna come back for season two because they've already trashed her way too much um carol baskin uh do you know she, she killed her husband she whacked him well, I mean, yeah, she did that, too. Oh, you don't know the song, do you? No, I don't. Nor do I want to know. Carol Baskin. Killed her husband. Whacked him. Oh, I have heard that before, yeah. Yeah, that's that's but, but content still, now. But still, it's it's stupid. It's The whole Tiger King thing is just ridiculous. I, yeah. I just, I, it's the same thing with the obsession of like kim kardashian like the kardashians it's just like you just want to get into the drama for the drama's sake yeah well and the first one was like could be perceived as a genuinely interesting story about what's going on in the underbelly of the private tiger and lion owning uh ring of people however the sec if they do actually put out a second season it's just gonna be a, a pure cash grab it's going to be like when, what was it, Discovery Channel did, uh, what was it, Deadliest Catch. I was like, oh, this is actually really fun to watch. Like, you know, these guys have such touch, tough lives. And then Discovery Channel is like, people really like Deadliest Catch. And it's like, you know, these, is, these are some, you know, it's basically all men dealing with being out in the freezing ocean catching crab and you know people get hurt people get sick people go it's like it's a very interesting story about a very tough job Mm -hmm. and then discovery was like well let's make another show it's called ice road truckers so they make ice road truckers and then national geographic is like hey 
Let's do a show called Axemen. Uh, or let's put it on History Channel. Has nothing to do with history. Let's still do it. Ooh, what about these hillbillies in the middle of a swamp? We'll call it Duck Dynasty. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think they even made a swamp, a swamp people show. I was like, yep. what? like trash television. And so what we're probably going to get from Tiger King is like a bunch of reality shows about like some exotic zoos or whatever. And like, you know, in Malaysia or something next. And it's just going to be stupid for stupid sake. Um, because you could say there is journalistic integrity behind uh, Net Netflix show Tiger King. Because even the showrunner is like, these people are just so interesting. So we just, you know, you go with it. Like, how do you not? And it, it totally makes sense. But then you have some producers for The Bachelor who are just like, yeah, we're going to bring in people from like four seasons ago who are batshit crazy. And we're just going to bring them onto the show. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like we're, that's what we're going to eventually get with these type of shows and i i despise it no i i agree i think with the first season they they found something really interesting and they didn't know what the show was actually going to be until the show ended and they realized what all they had and they had to tell the story because i mean there's no way they could have predicted everything that would have happened throughout the, the course of filming but now it's more of just feeding off of public perception and public interest rather than what the actual story should be um, mm -hmm. And that I think is going to definitely take away because there's no way it's going to be about any new people. The, it's only going to be about reopening uh, the lives of all these people they've already introduced and kind of seeing like, where are they now? How are they dealing with this? Is Doc and Tilly still in business with all his tigers? Um, it's it's just going to be it's it's not there's no way that it can live up to the hype of the first season. Um just with everything that happened, there's no way that they could recreate that or even write something to match or exceed what the first season did as far as just pure shock value. Yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. For sure. Anyways, so, so, so John, do you want to rehash the Gina Carano thing real quick? Yeah, well, let's go, let's go through that real quick. Yeah, so with the thing with Gina Carano and her statements about um, about like uh, how conservatives are being targeted, similar to how Jews are being targeted by Nazis, um, or like what is it? Conservatives are being targeted by the the media and people just in general, comparing it to like that's how the Nazis started with this. At first, it's your neighbor, and then it's this, and then it's that, blah 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 blah, and so people took offense and they started the hashtag fire Gina Carano. And then eventually Disney was like, yeah, you're being fired for your terrible, abhorrent anti-Semitic comments. They didn't say anti-Semitic, but they did say abhorrent and terrible comments. Yeah. About, about, um, Jewish people. And so she was fired for that. And now she's doing a show with Ben, Ben Shapiro, or something. She's going to produce something for him. And so, yeah, for Star Wars fans, it's kind of a weird thing. So, uh, getting getting your opinions about it, um, I just want to first off go off and be like, where the co I would have never said anything like that. Those are very out of touch comments. I think that what she said was very stupid. At the same time, do I believe in that event? Just those tweets, putting those out. Does it warrant her being fired? No, not really. But I guess behind the scenes, like Disney 
doesn't really enjoy Gina Carano. So, and, you know, she's gotten, like, some... I don't know. Like, we don't know if she's been reprimanded before by Disney um, and Lucasfilm. But uh, I just... As you know, people make mistakes. And uh, this... it Obviously, she's very outspoken. She believes these things. So it might just have to be a conversation like, Hey, Gina, just... If you're going to be on this show, don't say these things. Um, I don't know. We don't We don't know. We're not flies on the wall. We don't know how Disney handled it internally. But uh, I don't know. It's just such a... It's part of that culture of, like, when people say things, they get, like... Fi- like, there's, like, people, like, out there just, just saying crazy things and they get fired. And when you represent a company, obviously it makes sense that she would get fired, but I would believe there'd be a warning or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. She, she's like straddled that line and I understood what she was saying, but she, she, she may have, may have not want to compare it to like the Jewish struggle. I don't know. I, but I still, I still get what she was saying, but it wasn't done well. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that, um, yeah, she, I don't think had malicious intent behind what she said. I think genuinely it was just uh an ignorant way to phrase something that she was passionate about um and and that's fine i mean it's true that like most of media especially in hollywood tends to lean liberal um and and so it's it can be natural for some conservative voices to feel like they're being singled out or not uh given as many opportunities and that's just percentages um but I, I think for a company like Disney, especially when you have such a large and family centered brand, you have to be acutely aware of the things that you say in public, especially given the, the previous scandals that other uh, people associated with Disney that have had and the repercussions that have been caused from that. Um, so she should not post any like, OK, so this is this is my personal uh, mantra going into any kind of social media. I would never post anything that I wouldn't want my grandma or my boss to see. So, <laughs> and that, Smart. That, has, she, that has served me well. Uh, I tend not to post as much because it's just, it's just not worth it. So if I feel like if she had asked the same question of, do I really want my boss to see this? Do you think my grandma would approve of this? Maybe she wouldn't have done it. Maybe she would have re- reworded it slightly and that's fine. And what is what's done is done. I mean, I, I think we live into in a day with all of social media uh, in a place where when the, when the majority of fans get behind something, there's not really a ton that the studio can do because I mean what I the fans are the people that give them money to do the things. And if they don't have the fan support, they can't do the things. Um, and I, I, it, it's a tough it's a tough position to be put in. Um, I mean, I, I think if this had been an isolated incident too, maybe she wouldn't have gotten fired for it, but she's already kind of come under some scrutiny for things she said in the past. She was probably already walking on thin ice with, with Disney, uh, higher ups, and this probably just pushed her over the edge. And, and, and so for her to go off and do content with someone else, I mean, obviously she's not going to be out of work. This is not the end of Gina Carano and she's not going to be hungry and poor on the street. Uh, so I think we can all breathe a little easier about that, but I, I hope that this doesn't set a precedent to where if someone comes out and says something that doesn't rub everybody the right way, that suddenly it gets canceled. Um, 
Oh, yeah, we I'm... talked about this. You, we both yeah. don't like cancel culture. We didn't say in the beginning. We both don't like cancel culture. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to think that it leans that it, it at least creates the opportunity for people to just jump on a bandwagon without fully understanding the entire situation. And I think more often than not, if you took a step back, like okay, let's take James Gunn. If you took a step back from that and and looked at the entire situation of yes, he said some very ignorant things on Twitter years and years ago but he has since come out and apologized for it and tried to make right by it and he's changed how he how he approaches social media and what the things that he says you would see that he is a different person than he was back then and so to quote unquote cancel someone for who they were a decade ago i don't think is fair because people should have the opportunity to change um but i mean i don't know who knows and, and who knows how Disney's going to recover from this, whether they're going to recast or just completely write the character off the show. Uh, I think The Mandalorian is going to move forward regardless. I mean, it's a great show, and it can do without Gina Carano um, or anybody. If it's just Din Djarin, I think that's all it needs. Uh, just Din Djarin and a puppet baby. That's there we it. Go. Well, I mean, the puppet baby's gone now. Uh, for now. For now, for now. No, it, it you know, it while... We, we talked about it last week some of some of what I had to say didn't get out there and I do want to say it now it's that you know uh, I've been and I, I'm not here to really brag about this but I've been in a managerial position before and I find that explaining something to somebody is a lot easier when you're really calm and when they say like well this happened and and you know they're explaining a story to you about you know let's say someone did something wrong and I have to have a conversation with somebody about it. You never want to just end and shut it. You want them to understand what they did was wrong. Um, but I'm not here to to say what you did was wrong. You should feel bad. No, I want you to. I want to say, hey, tell me your side of the story. I said this, that, and that. Okay, and I'm gonna be like, well, here's why it's not. You, you're getting in trouble for it is because of X, Y, and Z. And, if, and I say, does that make sense to you? And if they say, no, it doesn't make sense, I now have to explain why it makes sense. And I don't think with the Gina Carano uh, scenario, it's being treated correctly where people are just yelling at her. You know, that's how you create... Honestly, that's how you create extremist people. Um, and I'm just talking, you know, whether it's from one side or the other. It's really because um, someone else in their experience has yelled at them profusely about you know something that they might have done wrong and that's not you know if you get a math problem wrong in class does your math teacher yell at you and call you a fucking imbecile or the call you an imbecile or something call you like uh you know you should just say like oh man you're a you're a nazi you're a racist you know that or, or something along those lines or maybe it's just like oh you're an sjw or or just like you're the snowflake. It's just not helpful. So I would like people to keep that in mind that if you want someone to understand what they did was wrong, maybe not yell at them through a vacuum, but that's social media. And I doubt that would change, but I hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's definitely a very different time um, than if someone had come out in, in a newspaper article and said something kind of racy uh like 60 years ago i mean this is 
What are we going to do about it now? (laughs) I mean, information just travels so quickly through social media and people form opinions and solidify them so quickly that, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say like I'm a proponent of what she said by any means, but, um, like I said, it, it, it creates this opportunity where we don't, we, we choose not to seek more information because we form an opinion immediately. And that's, that's, that's what we believe is, has fully happened. That's all the information we need, but that's not always the situation. And so I just, I hope that in the future, I hope that people will kind of, you know, take the high road and just take a step back, ask themselves the question, like, is this the entire story? And if it is cool, you know, react accordingly. But if it's not like seek information and maybe you're not, maybe you don't have the full picture. Maybe you can admit that you're wrong about something. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, when you go into the theater and you're watching Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and you hear synthesizers and you see dancing pumpkins on your screen and you wonder, wow, why is this music not hitting me the same way I expect? Don't go on Twitter and trash Danny Elfman. Let me do that. (laughs) Don't get in trouble for it. It's a troll. I'm not, I don't mean him any ill will, but it is funny to make fun of his music <laughs> it all comes full circle full circle don't be an asshole <laughs> and i'm acting like an asshole talking about danny elfman exactly exactly double standards double uh, standards but thank you guys for listening this week chris will be back in the driver's seat next week with an actually recorded show i know we'll probably talk about a bunch of pokemon stuff because 25th anniversary next week yeah baby Woo. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.